0: Hey everyone, you're now part of the B2B Power Hour and
1: I'm your host, Nicholas Thicket. I'm Morgan Smith. We help sales professionals power up their sales skills from first touch to revenue, one hour at a time.
0: Join us for weekly live shows and interviews with industry experts breaking down what works and what doesn't in the remote sales era. Now, on to today's episode. When Andre actually reached out to me and we were talking about doing something together, I think a good place to start is what is the difference between like a typical podcast episode and doing a content collab? Because I think you explained it really, really well and I I had never heard anybody say it before.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's a fantastic topic and we both can, you know, share some thoughts, some like our experience. And uh, for me, you know, the key idea was, first of all, I was I started our full funnel podcast probably three years ago, and I was super excited because the B2B podcast and got you know that was a hot topic three years maybe four years ago, so it was 2018, and after probably 10-15 episodes, I got bored. I mean, it wasn't the content quality, you know. I loved our guests. We repurposed the every single episode, we created articles. But then I realized, okay, so what I'm doing next, we create the clips, we post on LinkedIn, and every single other marketer is doing the same. And the promotion is literally the same. Hey, so I have this fantastic guest, you know, like four or five teaser points. Go and get the link in the first comment. And now the question is, how can I attract the attention and how can I get the traction for my podcast if everybody is doing the same and I am sinking in the sea of sameness, right? So at one point, uh, before starting fullfunnel.io, I was extremely busy working with clients. And then with flat. we launched the company where I branded my ex-company, get Leader, And we had a chat. And I told, like, instead of these pre-recorded episodes, What if we'll start, anyhow, we chat with our guests, right? But what if we'll start inviting our community? So it's not just pre-recorded episode, but we also invite folks that now have an opportunity to ask questions live, me, guests, right? And for every single guest, it becomes way more engaging, way more interesting, because now they get the questions from their target audience, right? And it's all about the community. So the first episode we hosted was with Dennis Yu from Blitzmetrics. And we had Mm. six people online. These six people... Every single person posted later on LinkedIn saying, "Hey guys, so this episode is better than Netflix." You know, everybody posted, and I also made a picture. I still have it on my smartphone, right? Saying, "Hey, so kicking off our full funnel podcast new season live this time live with Dennis here and six other awesome B two B marketers." So a year later, every single episode that we are hosting now is like. Average sign-up rate is around 200 people. So most B2B companies are dreaming for this, let's say, sign-up rate for their webinars, not just the podcast episodes, right? <laughs> and that's the power of doing it consistently. Because what's the... Like I mentioned the benefits for, for the guests. Now the benefits for the community. What is the chance that like a random person from Europe, from North America, from Australia, from Asia will reach out, I don't know, Chris Walker or to Sangram wire anybody else well-known in our space, and just uh, will ask, hey, Chris, you know, I want to pick up your brains. Would you mind to, I have like these questions, would you mind to answer these questions? So <laughs> I don't say that you Won't get reply, but the chances are really, really low, right? Mm -hmm. And we enable our community to join us live and to ask these questions. And this is the fantastic value for the community, right? So with every single episode, every single episode generates a compounded interest and it becomes more interesting and interesting. People are coming. And the most important now they realize it's all about the community. They are her. It's not about listening to pre recorded episode. Also, what we are doing, like with Vlad, we, all the time we are experimenting, for example, with Papaya from CXL. What we did, we did a live, so we spoke like 30 minutes about different differentiation strategies. And then we told, hey guys, you know what? Now, if you want, drop a link to our website. We have 30 more minutes and we'll do a live marketing message tear down. And I love folks, that. It, right? And we everybody provided the insights and the chat exploded because then the community was involved saying, Hey, that's brilliant, but also I have this idea, that idea, boom. And now folks that came just for the podcast episode got priceless insights, right? And this is the power of content collaboration. Now we have the chat. Folks are joining, I see from St. Louis, from Stockholm, from Budapest, right, all across the world, our audience, your audience, and now we're all creating. So basically what we are doing, we are merging audiences and we create this global B2B marketing community, which is a win-win for everybody. Could we do like alternative? Pre record the episode and then drop again. (laughs) Sure.
1: (laughs) One thing, actually, I like that you're pointing to, and maybe a question for either of you or Vlad to hear from you is like that we don't have to, I don't know, catch the white whales. Like, we don't have to have the Chris Walkers of the industry to come on for a collaboration or to you know bring on the people who have extremely high status and high visibility we're looking for i love the phrase i think i learned originally from you a uh, co-pilots almost folks in who can help steer the content so honestly the question is like how do you go about identifying those co-pilots like what are what are you thinking about when you're looking for collaboration partners and maybe what can other people think about as well when they when they're searching for these these collab partners.
3: I just wanted to kind of take a step back and also help people think about like, why is that important? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think going to help you also think about how to then translate that into concrete like list or, so the first thing to realize is that why would you even do content collaboration? What does it mean? What does it mean to you? Well, first of all, the way that I think about it is that especially if you're like in B2B space and you have a very specific audience, it's really hard to get to those decision makers, get their attention, drive the awareness, and eventually demand. And you should use anything that is available to you to do that. And obviously you can do stuff, like you can be on LinkedIn, you can be where they are, can be sharing content and all of that. But there is like a very big component is why not tap into the existing audience, why not actually co-create and, you know, do stuff together with people that your buyers already trust, right? They already have worked really hard to win that trust. They've really built that, to build that audience, to create that authority. And they know this in the music business. They know this in the movie business. The fastest way for you to create an audience, to build that authority is to tap into the existing audience or authority always think of you know you go to a rock concert and you have this opening or a warm-up act right have this unknown band suddenly getting the audience of the bigger one and it's just the audience but it's also the association and that is like why you do these things and you can even take it a step further and not just even co-creating with influencers because like there are different audiences they can co-create with all about like getting the attention of that buyer, right? And associating and building and building that trust based on the existing trust and based on the existing audience. You can co-create with buyers. Last October, I had this idea that I wanted to connect to the top B2B companies, like the largest B2B companies in our home market. And I was like, okay, what I'm going to do is just invite people to the podcast. And I had originally this list of 20 strategic accounts that I wanted to build relationships with. And I had to stop at 11 because eight of them said yes. It's just like an, an amazing, <laughs> yeah, it's like an amazing. And what <laughs> happens is like, not only that you're building these amazing relationships, but you're also like learning so much about your target accounts. You're discovering opportunities that otherwise you would never be able to discover. Mm-hmm. So if you take a te- step back and your goal being to you know build these relationships, drive awareness, and eventually, demand for what you do, and tapping into these existing audiences that your buyers already trust. What kind of audiences can those be? Like I mentioned, who do, they, who do your buyers trust? Well, they trust their colleagues. So you can be talking to people from their company. You don't have to invite you know top decision maker. You can invite somebody else and get amazing insights. Second, they trust their peers. Other people who are in similar ro- role from at the industry. So again, co- co-creating with buyers is, is one way to do it. Next, they obviously trust the influencer. That, that's kind of your original question. Like who should mm-hmm. you be talking to and how do you build that? And, and I would say like, obviously, it's always cool to get the big names. Big names bring bigger crowds. That's why people come. And that's amazing. We had some amazing people on our podcast. and it worked really well for us but we also like had people who are maybe don't have like the name like chris walker but who whose whose sessions people enjoy tremendously like we spoke to corina owens from gong she's the senior abm manager and her session was just amazing she was sharing real practical tips for people who are you know trying to implement abm whatever and it was just like it was just amazing also for the audience and and for us as well and another way to think about it is that it's kind of a ladder as well that you have to climb at the beginning it will be more difficult for you to land maybe somebody who is you know very famous and has a very famous audience but you can be like gradually like climbing that ladder and you know obviously getting known and then connected and asking for referrals and all of these things that it can be doing. And one more point, and then I'll shut up, uh, <laughs> about what kind of audiences you can be co-creating that your buyers trust. Also, we do stuff with partners, co-pilots you mentioned. These are brands who are complementary, they're not necessarily direct right competitors or we don't even care. Like, you may be doing similar things. We do. I, we don't care. But let's say brands who serve the same audience, who have already like worked hard to build that audience and trust, did the hard job, and now you have an opportunity to collaborate with them. So, for example, we work with a lot of Martech brands, such as, you know, Sendozo and Chili Piper, and you know, Andre, help me if I forget somebody like uh, Paper Flight and. Uh, we had some amazing people there come. And we had great opportunities, not only in co-creation, but also being able to offer some good deals to our audience, and obviously to help our partners maybe get exposure, like Andre said, to exchange or you know trade, if you like, audiences.
1: <laughs> The latter analogy is something I think we've experienced, even where I was
0: going to go in. Okay,
1: because <laughs> uh, like even early on, you know, we had just kept this as a as a live show for a good chunk of time, and then started inviting guests into the podcast to do just pre recorded sessions, and we're sort of taking your advice uh, in real time, <laughs> actually, and doing more live collabs, but. Like early on, it was just, who do we know? And then gradually, as we got our feet under us, it was like, I think maybe Marcus Chan was the first like larger influencer maybe. And then it just started to cascade from that where it just sort of, yeah, kept on growing. Anyways, that's so, so interesting. The one
0: thing that uh, I was thinking as Vlad was talking, our evolution in the podcast. And I'm thinking about like social psychology and earning trust. And when we first started, we didn't promote Learned a Lesson. Then we started to promote the podcast, kind of like you, what you were saying, Andre, originally that what everybody was doing. And remember when we put out uh, the original sound clips and yeah. they got a little bit of traction, but not much. And then we put a face to the name and we actually put the video clips out and it, Exploded like what was it like five or 10 times the engagement? Was something ridiculous. Yeah, but I think it comes down to trust because everybody, you know, we're in our little hidey holes, everybody's doing their own thing, and so you hear people's voices, but people can grab that clip. But whenever they see you with them talking in an environment like this, I think it just adds so much more credibility to have a live conversation. I think that's why it works just so well. And like you said, they could ask their questions. So it it kicks it up that level that people, you know, it's always that like they love to be a fly in the wall and during that conversation. Well, now people (laughs) finally
3: can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we did we did amazing things like the last time we did a session with Andy Cullihan, who Mm. is also doing ABM and Andre spoke to him and decided to do something completely different. And we did a uh, live campaign. Instead of teaching people how to do, you know, an ABM campaign, warmer campaign, we decided to do it live. And in 50 minutes, uh, we put our three um, shaven big heads together. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, actually. <Abby>, but... <laughs> and uh, we landed the tier one opportunity. During that, like, we reached, okay, we kind of also, like, use the facts so we reached out to them and they said hey i'm reaching out to you live you know from this session and and people absolutely love this and it's about like you say being there being live being part of it and also doing stuff that is different doing stuff that you know not doing the same things that everybody else does right
1: Mm-hmm. One thing or a question I had for either of you, I remember, Vlad, you had said you had like a list of 20 strategic accounts you wanted to get to say yes, and then you had to stop because you got so many of them to basically say yes. What does that conversation look like for you all? Like, I think one thing I hear a lot from people who are just starting in content collabs is this sort of like hesitation, or some of it, it's like, I don't want to pitch them. But I also don't want it to just be like, oh, will you just come on the show to talk to you about something? I don't think, like there's not a lot of, people don't have the context around like, what does that ask look like? So for for you both, when you do collaborations, what do those asks look like for any of these buckets we've talked about for co-pilots, for influencers, for peers, et cetera?
2: I mean, you need to have a strategic content plan, right? And you need to know what you are going to talk about So first of all, you decide on the format. Are you going with a webinar, mini summit? Should it be a live event? Should it be like at this podcast episodes, which is more like a round table, right? So we're just dropping the questions and discussing and brainstorming and sharing experience. So that's the first point. Next one is that before reaching out to somebody, you must be very clear whose input would be the best for this specific piece of content. And who is going to help you with the content distribution? What most people and, let's say, what what most B2B marketers are doing when it comes to content creation, they focus on volume. High-volume keywords dominate their content strategy instead of customer insights, instead of talking what is relevant to their customers. And the same with influencers. Everybody thinks, okay, so... For this specific piece of content, I need this influencer, this influencer, this influencer, because this one has 100K followers on Twitter. This guy has 50K followers on LinkedIn, et cetera. But we have completely different episodes. We always say, right, less leads, more revenue, less content, but more quality content. And the same is here. So think about who is going to help you to get the eyeballs of your target accounts. Right, so quite often we see like even with full funnel summit, like most of let's say the traffic that came not from full resources came from our co-pilots, people who were actively promoting and pushing this uh summit. The same is here, right? So who can provide actionable insights? Not always thought leaders will have, I mean, well-known thought leaders will have time for you, but there are so many practitioners who will be happy to share practical experience drop some wisdom nuggets right drop some like frameworks step by step guides etc so basically it means you can just listen to them right or read their quotes and apply this and then they are going to help you with the promotion And in this case, if you'll focus on, okay, who has the best experience when it comes to this question, not the most followers, but who has the best experience, who can help me to amplify the reach of my end article, right? And finally, who might provide the value? So if you'll focus from, if you'll basically flip this content funnel, right, and focus on quality instead of volume and quantity, the results that you'll be getting from any content collaboration would be drastically different. That's my point of view.
0: I couldn't agree more. When we were originally starting the podcast, we started with, okay, who, who is, has a big enough influence that could, you know, people would recognize the name? And now, especially the last probably about, what do you think, about 20 podcast episodes, Morgan? Around it's, there, yeah. I have a pretty much 100% acceptance rate, right? because when I reach out, it's who knows this subject better than anyone else? And what are the questions? And I, it's all referenced on the questions that we're getting either in the live show or people are shooting us in the DMs. It's like, so what is our audience struggling with right now? What is that workflow? What is that? Where is it stemming from? Okay, who is the best person to reach out to that can solve this? Because I would rather have them on a podcast and exhaustively, you know, question them on it and get to the root of it. And then even if we don't have a big show, I'll go cut it up and I'll send it out to those people. (laughs) And then it's then you're a real value. But before the conversations, not to say they were superficial, but like now I feel like I'm on a mission. Like I have a real mission to be doing these shows because it's like, okay, so my audience has trusted us to go get to the root of this. Okay, how do we go in? How do we get there? What questions can I ask? What stories can they tell that'll really help people get that promotion or move forward?
3: Yeah, I think another way to think about it is you mentioned that you, you cannot have a community without having, or if you're starting a community, you're trying to build it, you cannot have it without that engaged core, right? Attraction base, whatever you like to call it, right? And the best way to do that is to go deep not to go you know i mean if people are only coming because of you know a name will they come again will they come again when you're not able to give them that name will they feel like they've experienced something special or just saw that person once more you know instead of on their podcast heard them on your podcast or whatever all right so and i think that's really if you think about. It doesn't really matter, people are focusing maybe on the size of the audience, the size of the, you know, people coming, et cetera. But at the very beginning, what you say, focus on the quality and relevance, you know, having that unique experience, uh, diving deep, giving something that is actionable, you know, having some real takeaways from the discussion uh, rather than, and you will create that core engaged audience that will really help you. That's where your traction is going to come from. If you don't have that, you're kind of building, you know, without real foundation.
1: It's interesting you bring that up because I think one thing I've always admired about both of your content strategies, and then also the specific pieces you're actually putting out, you're not just always like tying it back to a broader message or like, here's how we did this. And here's sort of the breakdowns. I always admired how like, strategically, you're thinking through how can we take this one key insight and then both repurpose it and also invite others into that conversation so then we can have them provide their insight in this as well. And I think your summit is a great example of that where ultimately you're creating this platform for a lot of people who probably not to pull the curtain back too far on this, and I hope this isn't too far off, but like who probably say things you already know or who probably are offering insights that you're like, oh, I'm very familiar with this or we've done that before. But because you're leveraging a partner or you're leveraging a co-pilot in some way, your audience, your community is hearing it from them instead of you. And so it's this nice like fusion of status and awareness and cross-collaboration and cross promotion, where even though it's your platform, that's getting leveraged, you're both boosting others. And in so doing, you're boosting yourself, which I, I always, like, there's very few, I can probably count on one hand, the number of people I know on LinkedIn that do that as well as you two do, (laughs) which is also why we're having this conversation, just because so many other companies are very sort of like self focused. They're very much like, here's how great our experts are. And your strategies in a lot of this content collab is like sure we have our thing but also have you heard of all of these other people who are also doing all this amazing stuff <laughs> well even like you
0: guys how you collab together is so different mm-hmm. like me and morgan i was like man like look at how andre and vlad are like playing each other up in the comments man like you need to step it up we got to do that <laughs> for each other and you guys always do it and you I don't know how that conversation goes it's like okay you go high level i'll go a little bit deeper but it it always makes for really good content and it makes me want to always read the comments <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a very good compliment but uh <laughs> <laughs> Look, when it comes to LinkedIn content, like we don't have, just believe us, it's just all natural. We don't have like a clear agreement. Look, so you are going to post this and I'm going to write the summary or whatever. Right? I have no
3: idea what he's posting tomorrow <laughs> or the day after and the same here. Uh, we have a very, very simple process. Perhaps that's something to kind of highlight mm. because... As everybody I'm sure knows, it's like one of the key things is to be consistent, right? And to be, it's like much, much more important to have these steps, whatever daily, weekly, whatever your cadence is, and not to miss it than to maybe try to make each of them perfect. So, and that means that. It's much more important to get, you know, like I mentioned, like this LinkedIn post out every day and that newsletter out every week and live podcasts and all of that, which means you have to keep it simple. So our our strategy there with LinkedIn is very simple and it is the following drum roll. Every morning I sit in front of my Evernote, I write a post and I post it at 2 p.m. Central European time, 8 a.m. Eastern and Andre does exactly the same. And we said, "Oh, well, he posted about that. The only thing sometimes I'm hoping I hope he's not gonna post about this because, <laughs> you know, maybe we saw the same thing, and I was like, "Oh, I hope this week actually he posted the eighty twenty. I had the post almost ready. <laughs> <He posted> the <laughs> thing. So um my point was only to say that for these things, we try to keep it as simple as possible, no overproduction, no big upfront planning, you know. And just keep doing that. And that's actually a much better way to become better than with this upfront thinking and trying to, you know, make it perfect. The you no know, whatever they say, no plan survives the first contact with the customer or whatever. Mm-hmm. The way you learn is by being there in the market, iterating, getting that feedback by trying to make every each step perfect.
1: I don't mean to cut you off, Andre, but one thing I just popped into my head to tie, I think Andre had previously mentioned like having a distribution plan in place after a collaboration or some sort of event that you're doing. How do you think through that when it comes to distributing content back onto the channels you have? I know you're not just on LinkedIn, but through all of your various social platforms, like how are you thinking about planning for and then actually distributing content from a collab? Like, is it as fluid as your just normal content creation process? Or is there's more structure to how you want to promote that?
2: No, this one is more structured. So basically, the first step is creating a quarter plan. So we have a clear agenda of the goals. And then we set up the main activities that we plan to launch in this quarter. And basically, it starts from the goals. Then, right, the key initiatives, the key programs, the key activities. Then we just break it down saying, okay, so if we want to host a webinar like last time, we, the last webinar we hosted was ABM on LinkedIn, probably two weeks ago. So we got 1,100 signups without spending a dime on that. So it was just organic signups. People came and signed up for, by, you know, noticing the announcement, etc. But the key, success here was that we just discussed okay what will make sense to us to write about so we'll just you know raise the awareness about this topic so more people will be interested when we'll announce the webinar so they will basically not only sign up but also come because if i'm correct we had around 450 people online so the attendance rate was really really high so that's the key point right we start breaking down we just okay we have this document map of informational needs this is something that's I have developed many years ago, then with flat, we refined it. It's basically a document with topic clusters and the questions our audience is genuinely interested in. So let's say we have ABM on LinkedIn, and then we collect these insights from customer interviews, talking to customers, right? Just writing down, okay, these are the questions they are asking us. Then we say what our peers are posting about on LinkedIn, right? And we see, okay, this post got create engagement, and then we check the comments. So people asking these questions, we write them down, and these are the new pillars for our, let's say, pieces of content. We just look at this document, we collect these insights, and we create a clear content plan. And the same comes to articles, right? Before promoting an article, we start posting about this. Then what we do time to time, if we're going to Publish, let's say, an in-depth guide. We don't have that much in our blog. We just have eight articles. But that's enough to that's really enough to go because all these articles are ranking. We have organic traffic and people love it. People always share this content. So then we come back to the same basic advice that we shared. We're who would be the best co to contribute? Who would be the best leader who has enough let's say experience and good insights on this topic and who is going to help us with the content distribution right so next we publish some pieces of content from this article on linkedin and one day we just simply do a validation test saying hey guys so recently we spoke let's say about abm on linkedin then what i'm doing and the same as flat so for example we say here is the framework let's say how you can do it right one two three four five six seven eight and then you see this visual framework and then i'm just simply saying so i'm thinking to write an in-depth guide would you be interested in would you like to get it if when it will be published just leave a comment here to see the feedback And usually it's exploding, right? So like 50, 70, hundreds of people are leaving comments saying, hey, this is really interesting to me. And now you understand that we have social proof. If we want to get anybody contribute to this article, we always say, okay, look, this is the post. We did the validation. We want to get your insights. But honestly, we'll rare we don't use it at all. Maybe for companies that are starting out, that could be a very good advice, right? Because they can use the social proof. In our case, because of this demand generation activities, we built a very good relationship with the market, with this for audiences. So everybody usually happily contributes to it. But the best part now, we have the engaged audience, right? And then when article goes live, we can just simply reach out to everybody saying, hey, so the article that you are interested in is live, right? If you loved it, would you mind to share it with your team or share on Twitter and tag me or just simply reshare on LinkedIn, whatever you prefer. And that's it. So some people just, you know, jump when we publish the article, when we announce it. So people just jump into comments and tag their colleagues, which basically means resharing the content, right? So more people are seeing this. And that's the way, right? So we build this organic, and then we have our own resources as newsletter, right? If the post gets enough engagement, like we don't set up for every single article, we don't set up this engagement threshold saying, okay, this article should generate like, I don't know, 3,000 visitors. We basically rely more on Let's say more pragmatic data. We see if somebody from Target accounts would be DMing us saying, "Hey guys, I saw this article and I'm interested in discussing with you the potential collaboration." That's a very good sign. Saying, "Hey, so I saw this case study. I would like to talk to you." Or like feedback from peers, right? Saying, "Hey guys, read this case study. This really fantastic sent you." So if we have these triggers, right? If we have this feedback. Then what we do next, we just collect this insights and we'll do either live podcast episode or create like work on this framework that we share it, right? And create a webinar on this. And that's our plan.
1: I don't want to lose the thread on this because this is so interesting to hear you say it is that you're using social listening as a way to inform your content plan and particularly like your rollout strategy, your the topic clusters that you're creating. It's something that we've talked about and we use. I suppose we've like formalized it a little bit, Nick, but I've never heard like somebody else say, Oh, okay, yeah, we actually go out and scroll through the comments and like see what people are saying and what questions they have, and then compiling all those together and turning it back into a content plan or into this event that we're using to create our content pillar. So For those who've never done that before, how long do you spend doing that in preparation for a webinar? Is it ongoing? Is it just something you're like always doing? Or you sort of knowing from your quarterly plan, we're going to do these few demand gen activities. Okay, we need to spend a little bit of time looking for this and then this. And so like, how does that work for you? Because this is prereq work this is like prep work that's so powerful and interesting to me so i'm really curious
3: well i think there is like different phases or and depending where you're starting from right if you're just starting from the very beginning the first thing to do is to just analyze your crm and figure out you know which are the best types of customer segments industries verticals where you should be focusing on and understand also who your best customers are like once you figure that out the next thing you need to do you need to do in-depth interviews like that is the essence the basis of everything and A lot of people when they do interviews they're focused on the product and how much they like the product and how they use the product and all of that which is important but what they miss is the buyer's journey and when we speak to people about buyer's journey i often hear back the sales process you know when i'm asking about buyer journey so the buyer journey is longer it starts earlier before they spoke first time to your sales you know reps so understanding you know what kind of triggers like what's happening in their business before they started to search for a solution like yours what are the different stages how did they you know discover how did they what kind of solutions were they considering why did they choose to decide to go for you know whatever software like that how did they Uh, discovered the other ones, how did they evaluate it, what were the purchase criteria, who was involved, what objections did they have, what questions did they have, what, you know, information were they looking for, what gave them red flags, all of that stuff to really, really understand that buying process, that's the first step. Now, if you have that buying process, I think we had once with a client, we'd just done this workshop where we mapped out the, you know, the buyer journey based on all these insights that we collected. And, the only thing I had to do, and it was like an hour workshop. That wasn't, of course, having, you know, knowing that. And then the next step was like for each of these stages, we wanted to understand what questions do people have, do the buyers have, the different buyers have at each stage, and what objections, right? Like what information are they looking for? What kind of questions do they have? And what objections do they have? And simply after that workshop, I, I took and just collected all of these like we did it in, in Miro with all the uh, you know nice little post-its so I could just copy and collect. And I had my first version of that map of informational needs that Andre mentioned, which is basically the the foundation right, of that uh, content plan. right, And then you go on and you enrich it. And the way that you enrich it is, like you mentioned, with social listening, understanding what people are asking, what are they talking about on target communities, on social, in the comments of thought leaders, what kind of topics the thought leaders are talking about on conferences, events, and all of that stuff. And with that, of course, you're going to enrich your map of informational needs. And now you have this foundational piece. First of all, you have Basically, so many questions that you, you can be answering that you should never really run out of ideas for your social posts, right? You, should, you have no excuse not to post daily, and of course you start having that foundation, right? And how you then use that and translate that into, a, you know, a concrete content plan, etc. I think another thing is also, you know, Andre. I was talking about, let's like, say, the quarterly goals, and you know, we wanted to. Dis- we we had a strategic goal. We why we wanted to focus on ABM on LinkedIn, but it is also about how do you position that? Because there's a lot of people who are talking about LinkedIn and LinkedIn marketing, and but they're talking about it in a different way. You know, there are a lot of people talking about a personal brand. You should be out there. You should be. Putting yourself out there and sharing and all of that. And then there are a lot of people who are talking about, you know, from a maybe more sales perspective. There are people who are talking about, I oh, should just be out there and sharing value and leads will come and all of that. So we always ask ourselves, like, with so much content out there, with so much like webinars, whatever, articles, courses, whatever out there, like, how can we stand out? Like, what will be our angle? How are we, what are we bringing new there? Right? So for example, that example that Andrea shared with that ABM on LinkedIn webinar, I strongly believe that one of the main reasons why it was so popular, why we like, uh, finally like broken that like 1000 subscriber imaginary, uh, a milestone <laughs> there was, I think like one of the key reasons was the positioning. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about you know, ABM. And we are known for the topic and that's what we know our audience is interested in and LinkedIn. Uh, They're talking about all these other things that I mentioned, but nobody's talking about that. So also thinking about how can you position that in a way that is going to really be appealing to the audience? My
1: first impression of what Vlad just went through, so you guys know, I was like, he's thinking like a salesperson when he's creating content. <laughs> that was like the first, like all of this prereq work of like, who am I going after in-depth customer interviews? What are their priorities? How are they? And I know that's probably the influence from like running ABM and enterprise outbound motions and like having to have that like discipline. But that was just like the first impression just because I've interacted with so many content marketers who, as you said at the beginning of this hour, just prioritize volume over quality. I mean, your case, the fact you have eight articles on your website is crazy to me and i love that so much because <laughs> it's just eight articles right like you're you've invested in that it's strategically and you've done all the demand anyways i could go on and on and on
2: right. yeah sorry i just wanted to say another point is that we both had career in sales actually salesman okay, okay. so that's another point
1: it helps <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, but I believe, you know, the problem is that lots of, if I just can drop five cents on the point that Vlad shared, unfortunately, content marketing space and let's say thought leadership, this space doesn't have barriers or entrance barriers, right? So people can jump in, start posting. And then just based on this promise, Go there, post something, and you get the results, right? People don't think strategically. They think it's enough to get, like, I don't know, like hundreds of likes, people who consistently engage and post something. I love the, I love your comment. What a brilliant post. This is exactly the key to success because what they're going to do next. Right, They're going to their LinkedIn profile, collect the stats and say, hey, so my po- last 30 days, my content was visited by like, oh, my content got like 10,000 impressions. So my question is, okay, people say that, you know how they leverage it. They say this is the brand awareness. But now let's dive deeply. I'm asking like, now tell me please, how many target accounts consume this content, right? Then there is like an awkward silence because people don't want to talk about the reality. You can fake the engagement. We have seen it with like one of the marketers. We know, well, the guy was selling this like thought leadership services. Let's call it that way. And what he was doing, he partnered with one copywriter who wrote the posts and then they go to Fiverr. And hired an army of these, you know, fake, not fake, these are real people, but from India, Pakistan, et cetera. And they visited this piece of content and they left the comments like, what a wonderful post, etc. And then you have like hundred likes and engagement, right? But then we open the stats and I'm always saying, if you'll go to my content, I don't have like a huge engagement maybe comparing to like it's all depends on whom we compare to, right? But then if you'll open the targeting, so my content is being consumed by senior people. My content is being consumed by the peer of marketing CEOs of our target audience, B2B tech companies with high ACV products and complex sales cycles. And our geography, exactly, we always have the engagement from New York, from Brussels, which is our, let's say, domestic region, if you can call it that way, from Nordics region, from London, etc. right? So, and that's the key point. I believe I always say that for me, it's way more beneficial if my content will get 100 views from 100 Dream accounts then 100,000 views from random audience, that's literally tomorrow, forget about me and go to another hero who will post the same post. Hey, okay, so yesterday got like 10,000 impressions on LinkedIn, just go there, be there and the results will come.
3: As Like somebody said, I, I found that brilliantly, somebody said in my comments, if I wanted high engagement, just for the sake of engagement, I would be posting cat videos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and I think describes it brilliantly. Or let's flip it the other way. I mean, not all your posts work well, and sometimes you get you know, better engagement, sometimes not. And the only thing I ask myself, I, I always have this like little mantra, and I always ask myself, well, wait a minute, like, was this a relevant one? Like, was this like on brand? Was this like communicating what we wanna communicate? Yes, okay, that's all that matters, right? And another thing is to realize is that the most important people are not necessarily those people who are engaging. Uh, there are a lot of silent, like they're silent, they're consuming, and it happens, and I'm sure it happens to you as well. People are reaching out to you and say, hey, you know, I've been you know, following you. And, and you say, "Like I never saw you. I never saw you like or comment. But yeah, they have been like silent because at the end, what is it? 90%? I'm sure like 90% of people who read are never going to do anything. So at the end, just the most important thing is make making sure that the content is relevant, being there consistently and doing that again and again. And, you know, looking at the qualitative like feedback like andre mentioned like are the right accounts reaching out to you are you getting invites are you getting like qualitative people uh, feedback from people and that's all that matters and over time these things also compound and you see also other results and you see all these beautiful things but at the beginning just try i know it's not easy sometimes but try to ignore that and just focus on what you can control and that is what you're writing about and your activities, you're being consistent.
2: But also, what is really important, this is something that I just realized with the time. And the rule that I believe really exists is the power of 99 and 1, which means that 90% of your target audience will passively consume your content. So, honestly, will rarely see any engagement from our target buyers on LinkedIn. I mean, they don't, you know, like our posts actively or leave the n- never leave the comments, basically. But quite often they reach out and say, hey, guys, probably you don't see my engagement with your posts, but I really love it and I want to discuss the collaboration. This is the number one and the most important metric that we are tracking. The next one is that you have this 9% of people who are so-called engagers, right? They jump in time to time, they engage, they might share this content, et cetera. And then you have 1% of active users. And that's the key. And when you accept it, right? you will completely differently start thinking about the content results. And I believe finally, the ultimate goal is driving pipeline, right? So the number one rule that I learned very early in my career, you can't pay your bills with likes and followers.
0: <laughs> As you're talking hmm. through this and I'm thinking about it from the sales lens, so many of the SDRs we're talking about right now is like, well, how can I get this person on the phone today? And when we started out as road warriors and we had to go and plan our route maps and we have to build our lists, we always thought about how can we get into these accounts in the next 90 days? And most of the time it wasn't get in, it was close, like start to finish. And it's interesting how the mindset's changed to just getting somebody into a meeting. And I think about social selling and how this all plays in, it's how can we get someone to ask us for a meeting in the next 60 to 90 days, 30 to 90 days? And looking at that buyer experience, you're like, hey, what would get you to follow me? What would get you to that promotion that you want? What would get you you know, the right information to take it to your manager to go and you know, take this up the ladder? And so often it's, you know, we see this all the time with the evolution of posting. People do post, call to action. Hey, buy my ebook, buy this. And then all of a sudden you see that evolution where they're starting to get it. And I think that get it really is that customer insights that comes from that buying experience. And that's why some people, I think, just take off versus the ones that don't is because they also have that trust and credibility at scale that they're earning by not asking for anything. And of course, when you've, everybody's been, you know, out for coffee or something and you've listened to somebody talk for the past, you know, 10 minutes, like, what do you do? I, you know, I've been talking the whole time. What what do, what, do you do? And that's just human nature. But at social media, we can do that at scale. So why not?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. And so, I wonder for you to like sort of tying this to the the headline topic of today. When you think about your collaborations, obviously we're sort of, (laughs) I mean, we're constrained by time, obviously, but also energy and attention. And you have your quarterly plans. Like some of this is a, a ramp up, and some of this depends upon where you are in the life cycle. But how many collaborations? are you really shooting for? Like, and I know your summit is maybe a special exemption here just because you have so many cool people come in and do some amazing talks and you get a lot of content out of it. But from even your podcast episodes or other sorts of webinars in which you're bringing in folks, like what, how do you think through like pacing yourself almost? Because I think it's, really exciting to always get somebody else in that then sort of catalyzes or accelerates all this other stuff we've been talking about. And then I think we've seen this with other accounts we follow where they go faster and faster and faster. And so there's more and more and more and more and more. And then suddenly it's unsustainable. So like, how do you pace yourself in or how do you think through sort of your pace when it comes to collaborations?
3: It's actually quite simple, right? So we have just the calendar and the calendar is basically I can just tell you exactly how it, how it looks like. And it's daily both Andre and I will post on LinkedIn and we'll engage in our community and daily. We might also do some engagement with, you know, target accounts and audiences on LinkedIn and stuff like that. So this is the daily stuff. Then weekly we will have our collaboration with you know industry influencers or partners depending on like who we can get them depending on the topic like we discussed previously but that's weekly right so we have those live calls live podcasts we have our webinars once a month we have our summit well we have also some workshops every quarter that we promote but then we also have our summit which is twice a year and I forgot very importantly weekly. Also, we have the newsletter. We have one newsletter, and Andre is doing that. is doing an amazing job. He is doing one newsletter for our community and one for full funnel, the full funnel insiders uh, newsletter, and that's it. So that's the calendar, and you know we are extremely, <laughs> I'm the one who is getting more excited. And Andre is the one who is like, always like pacing me down and, you know, reminding me of exactly what you said, Morgan, is that, you know, you can burn out and you you need to plan this. And so for example, you know, okay, let's do the more of that and not, okay, yes, we can do this, but maybe let's take the time in the summer and plan this properly, how we can introduce maybe an extra layer into that and how we can do this while a still keeping the quality and b you know without burning ourselves out and making sure that this is really the most important and most impactful thing to do because at the end if you look at all of that there's so many things that you can be doing so the really the key thing is figuring out the 20% that will make the, the 80% of impact hmm. whether that's you know in terms of the content in terms of the activities um in terms of customers, leads, uh, everything, really. There is 80-20 everywhere.
2: I would also say uh, that aside from personal burn- burnout, you need to think about audience fatigue. I mean, everybody can create more. And this is, I mean... I always speak with Flat and with our clients about scalability obsession because let's say when we join a team as a team extension and start installing account based marketing, the first question we usually get is how are we going to scale it? Forget about scaling. Let's pick (laughs) up the processes and nail it first, right? Everybody wants to scale and do more, but the real power comes from doing less but more quality activities, right? Could we do more podcasts per week, yes, sure. Could we post more on LinkedIn, absolutely? But what I want to avoid is just when my target buyer will say, Hey, there is too much of Fundry on LinkedIn, and hey, you know what? I recently, no, maybe they maybe they definitely won't tell it to me, but I just want to avoid perception, okay, this guy posted these unique frameworks and now it's just a content in sake of content just to keep this engagement i want to avoid it so i just want to avoid the situation when full funnel.io friend will be it's too much of these guys i'm just curious if these guys are working at all or they're just hanging out on linkedin and post the shop that's really crucial right so always think strategically and that's why we always have again coming back to Fundamentals. We have the quarter planning, we map out the key activities, and then we decide who would be the right partner for this collaboration. Like this time we are chatting with you guys, right? We also pro- as I mentioned, we also promote the event, so it's just about our all our communities, right? Then we send Are we going to publish the article, right? Are we going to do the webinar? And this is like the most powerful thing. So I'd rather do, let's say, sometimes and also depending on the period of times, let's say in Q1, we did more activities, but they were all about account-based marketing. In Q2, before the summit, we focused more on demand generation part. But how did we position them? We didn't talk about demand generation. Why? Because this is not, Let's say this is not our area, maybe not the area of expertise, but this is not we are well known for. There are multiple folks, and again, let's say, refine labs their own in this category, and we don't we absolutely have no uh, desire to compete there. What we do is that we always say how to leverage demand generation in account-based marketing, and how to run warm-up programs, and we always put it into our context. And then we decide who would be the right people to talk about this, right? Mm-hmm. Now we speak more about this, for example, this topic. This is slightly controversial because everybody wants to have the quick wins. But now we, today we chatted a lot about the research, about how to find the right partners, right? And again, the first advice I gave, stop thinking in terms of volume followers, likes, et cetera. Right. I didn't because I know that you guys are doing a really good job with the podcast and with the collaborations, with the in- how do you also collect the insights? And that's why I believe that could be a really beneficial partnership if we both can share, you know, our experience. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's the right way.
1: Couldn't agree more. So we're at time, somehow. This hour has flown by. (laughs) First of all, learned so much and thank you both for coming on. Uh, Nick is nodding severely as well. I love this time together and I love your content. So for folks who are tuning in or who are listening to this later, what do you want them to know about you? Where can they find you? Where can they follow along?
3: I think there's mainly two places uh, that I would at least recommend is we spoke so much about linkedin and we are live now on linkedin so i would say that's kind of the the easiest the lowest hanging fruit other than that i would definitely if you're into b2b marketing and for brands who are have acvs five six figure deals it would definitely fit right in our trenches community which is a slack community of people who are in the trenches every day growing Five six figure deal brands, B two B brands, and it's just an amazing community. I'm so grateful for all the people there. We're having discussions. We don't have to do much because people are just so, so great there. And I recommend everybody to join there as well. Awesome, thank you.
2: Thanks a lot for having us. It was yeah. really good convo today.
3: Yeah, and you make it really easy and enjoyable. I really felt almost like I'm there in your. Uh, what, what is it like living living room yeah. there? In the <laughs> thank you for that. It, it, you made you made this really really easy and enjoyable. You're welcome. Thank you so
0: much. I really appreciate your insights. Hearing about all the background work you do and like and peeling apart the onion with us because that was definitely what was on top of my mind. And I know that I'll at least be watching this two or three times <laughs> after this. So thank you so much, you guys. We really appreciate it. Did you love today's episode?
1: Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.